A hitman is on the verge of retirement and looking to live a quiet life. Instead, he finds himself on the receiving end of a hit by his own employer, seeking to cash in on the pensions of aging employees. Hello, everyone. I'm Caleb Roger. I'm Connor Izagari. Welcome to an episode of Beyond the Bad. Today we'll be talking about 2019 Netflix movie hot off the hills of the very successful John Wick franchise, Polar, um, a film which, like most Netflix films, seems to be made mostly to cash in on something super successful at the box office, and in this case, it was the aforementioned ongoing Fourth on the Way, which looks really badass as shit, John Wick franchise. Um, and again, like most Netflix films, it kind of comes and goes without much fanfare. It gets lost in algorithm. So with that, before we go any for, uh, further, so let's say forward, I'll shoot over to you for the score and why it's on here. <laughs> yeah, Netflix, their original output is like original in name only sometimes. A lot of times it's just, you know, something you've seen done better, just with a different color on it. And they try to pass it off as something fresh and I, it never works. You can always tell if you saw the good thing. And if you saw a quiet place, you recognize exactly what bird box is. If you saw John wick, you know what polar is like. That's we're not stupid, <laughs> but um, this is what polar's rocking on rotten tomatoes. We got a 17% critic score and a surprisingly high 69% audience score, which if you've seen the movie, you know, is a uh, pretty appropriate. The critics consensus reads, an action thriller starring Mads Mikkelsen as the world's most dangerous assassin should be terrifically entertaining, but Polar proves it's possible to ruin anything if you try. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to go with them on that. Like, Mads Mikkelsen as the world's, you know, most, like, deadliest hitman, I'm in. You got to really try hard to fuck this up, and they, they tried awfully hard. Yeah, it's, um, it's cause, you know, we've talked about before how much we love Mads Mikkelsen. The guys are very reliable um actor i would actually probably argue he's so like a character actor that just has been really really successful yeah for sure um, and to been able to do even more outside of just character acting um but he's always a joy on camera the man just he just always brings it and apparently he can fuck as this movie shows um <laughs> and you so you were thinking like oh you know what yeah it might be a john Wick clone but you got him to lead this could be something at least really really fun and boy, is it the exact opposite of that the entire time. I, I, so in general, for a lot of these movies I've done on the show, I'm checking the run times a lot. It's almost <laughs> once week just me hitting my remote going, oh my God, it's almost over. This is one of those I had, like, I think it was out there, Reefer Madness and like fucking Freddy Got Fingered, where it was like a record for how many times I was hitting it, hoping it was getting closer and closer to the end. Well, this thing especially is a clone of so many other films. Like there's some John Wick, there's some Suicide Squad, there's a little bit of Logan in there. It's just they they kept like, you know, Frankensteining together a, a inferior movie based off, you know, things they figured people liked before they'll like it here. And that's not how it works. You can't do that. I mean, you can, but you shouldn't do that. 
I won't say any can't. You just just do better. Yeah. Have a have a little have some ethics, you know. Care about your work. Don't just you know, don't copy off the student in front of you. Try a little harder. Well, and that also is too lot the fact that Netflix has set, had has had a long history with quant quantity over quality. Yeah. They don't give a shit. They just want as much shit out as possible, which is if anyone's been paying attention to recent Netflix uh news. Not paying off finally. It's finally buying them in the ass with a bunch of other shit going on with that company. But it's like, yeah, you guys keep pumping all this shit out, and people are, you're becoming a point that you are the stream. We're actually, Issue Max is coming in strong now thanks to the Warner Bros. shit as one of the probably worst streamers in this competition that's happening now because you guys consistently deliver shit films on wants to watch, whereas Disney Plus has proven reliable and proven quality, and Paramount Plus is kind of coming in strong with its content. Like, you have other streamers coming out that believe in quality over quantity, and Netflix is so stuck in its ways, other than it shows. Well, I remember reading an article from, I think it was a couple months ago, or it might have been like a few weeks ago. Uh, Disney Plus is reporting more subscribers than Netflix for the first time, which is, uh, well, that's either good news or bad news, depending on who you work for. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's like I said, again, they're they they're they're hitting you know paramount plus shutter you know um disney plus these guys they 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 you're seeing that they know they listen to what the fans want what is working for their service and they're giving fans that you know shutter if you know we've talked about it off camera but you know they're bringing back something that horror fans are dying to see next month that we thought was gone when bravo pretty much went away and that is they are reviving the little thing called 101 scariest movie moments it's coming back and they're doing it you know they're they're doing things like that right they're doing a a career you know career for fear for you know a documentary on career horror they're doing all this cool stuff for fans that draws people in you know paramount plus has built its spine off of star trek and that's been a boon for them but they haven't rested on the lore so they've been doing other shit like you know they recently i've been watching it they revived beavis and butthead and it's actually pretty good like i've been watching the new season of it and it's good. They even have, you know, Beavis and Butthead doing their thing where they're watching random pop culture stuff and making their jokes. It's pretty funny. Um, Disney Plus, you know, obviously with the Star Wars content and the, the Marvel content, you know, they're bringing up their A-game to that, what they release even further, you know, from themselves onto the streamer. Netflix, though, it's so stuck. And first, the, the want to dump all the episodes at once. You know, the other streamers have stopped doing that because they've been making better ends by doing weekly. Like, that's why the the boys is huge numbers for Prime, and they do it weekly. If anyone who doesn't, wasn't reading up on what was going on with House of the Dragon, it crashed on fucking Fire Stick. So many people were watching it. So, like, they're just stuck in a way that while it was successful for them when they came out, it's not so successful anymore, and they do not want to budge. Well, and also the way that, that Netflix registers like numbers for their shows is they don't take into account people who watch these episodes at their own pace. They're only counting completionists. They're only counting people who've watched the full season, which is insane. Like no wonder they're not green light and no wonder they're not seeing other things that aren't stranger things as successes because they're not giving people enough time to watch this shit. Like not everybody binges an entire TV season in two days. Some people like to pace it. That doesn't mean they're not watching it. it. Just means they're not watching it as fast as everybody else. So you yeah, can't like, like that's how you know. I don't, it just bothers me how they count that shit. 
Yeah. Well, and like recently, you know, they released the final season of Lock and Key. Apparently, it came out on like a Tuesday. I didn't watch it till the weekend. And that's because I was watching other stuff. I wanted to play some of my video game. Um, I Am Groot had come out. And I wanted to watch that, even though content wise, it doesn't really add much to the MCU. But hey, it's it was adorable. I have zero regrets watching I Am Groot. Um, just because Baby Groot, if I'm being honest. Um, we know those other shows I wanted to watch. And then I did finally sit and watch it. And it took me the whole weekend. Like it, eight episodes took me all weekend to really sit down and watch. And that was after a while, me being like, okay, let me finish this. So I got nothing else on my plate when other shit comes out. So this is done. You know, it's kind of getting to that point where even if I'm sure I like, I'm like, oh, I, I need to watch this as soon as I can. So another Netflix show doesn't come out. And I got another one on top of where I need to watch. Like, yeah, it's just like they're, they're, they went from being like, you know, it's weird that they're kind of becoming blockbuster. You know what I mean? Like they rolled the new dogs on the block. They showed blockbuster what's up. And like, no, people do want to do this. And now it's like they're becoming that. They don't want to admit to change. They don't want to confirm to change. But like, maybe if we change some things, we'll get the numbers again. Either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yeah. yeah. Harvey Dent was right. If they're literally like, we're not going to change. We're going to crack down on password sharing and continue to release shows, seasons at all at once. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see the studio just become kind of a shell of its former self. Yeah, but you know, otherwise, you know, if, if they had a little bit of integrity and were a little bit more selective, we wouldn't have this delightful train wreck to talk about tonight. No, and what I'm glad I'm glad to be sure on them because the question this really makes my question great, which is even though we've just shared on Netflix a lot on this clip in the past, do you, sir, think there is there is at least something to be said positively for their strategy to release films like this? Yeah, I, I definitely do. I mean, you know, they're not all duds. There's a lot of uh Netflix original films that I think are great, like come award season they pull out all the stops and they care about every project. There's been some epic films that have come out on Netflix between September and January. <laughs> like, you know, Mank, Marriage Story, Roma, Mudbound, The Irishman. Like, it's not, you know, I mean, granted, I wish they would pay that much attention the rest of the year. But I also like that they do give people you know, some opportunities to get some work off the ground, which is pretty cool, you know. I think that if you're pitching something to Netflix, you have a much better you know chance of getting a green light than if you're pitching it to Disney, because you know Disney has a vetting process, and I honestly don't think Netflix does. Uh, but yeah, I, I I I like some of their stuff. I I dislike a lot more of it, but there there are some good movies out there uh, that I'm glad people were able to have made because of Netflix's you know quantity over quality. Bottom line. <laughs> Yeah, um, I will say for all the, the shit we gave them, um, it, you kind of hit it where it says, like, you know, and we've talked about this before in high feel about like people when it comes to obviously the theater experience and what studios are willing to produce and not produce, right? You know, we always talk about like they will only essentially nine times out of ten, they will only do the safe bet of something that is a franchise attached, like it has a built in fan base, whereas the studios will take it or it's the streamer so especially netflix will take those risks like you said they will green light anything that comes away so they will give a lot of like you know first time directors they're a start it's a chance to get a project off the ground and you know those what you we can't consider mid-tier films or more original films 
when they're not trying to cash in on something like this, they do do some pretty every so often good original stuff that you're not going to get in theater because it's just not that kind of award anymore, unfortunately. Um, yeah, that's true. I, the mid-tier film has pretty much been delegated to streaming status these days. It's, it's you know, blockbusters rule the, rule the big screen now. So if you want to watch something a little bit smaller, this is where you got to go. And I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, as long as I have the access to watch these movies, I'm okay. Yeah, and you know, it has worked out in the past with uh, this password stuff, like for them, like, um, you know, I didn't watch it yet. I've heard a lot of people like it, but obviously the the, the audience hit that was, you know, Red Notice on uh, Netflix. You know, that was a huge audience hit, you know, so that worked for them. Obviously, we were big fans of their take on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, they said something that the studio was clearly getting ready to be like, yeah, no, we're not releasing this to theaters. And they were like, hey, we'll buy it because they knew they knew this is a boom for us. We can get this. And they did, and they, and they put it out. And, you know, that was awesome to have the chance to watch it. I, you know, I still would love to see theaters, but the fact that I could still watch the film yeah, was amazing. Um, well, and also, like, it's not like they're that different from every, every other studio. You know, no, no studio has an impeccable track record of releasing only masterpieces. Every studio has their shit films and their great films. Netflix just has a lot more of both because they are willing to give everything a, sh- a chance. And that, you know, that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. Sometimes it's really all about how you look at it and what's coming out at the time. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would say we're agreeing to that, you know, we show them a lot, but you know, thankfully, and not just Netflix, but the streamers in general to me have essentially saved the mid tier film, mm-hmm. saved the, the up and coming filmmaker, the filmmaker, the indie filmmaker from, getting you know potentially just not having a voice anymore because of the way the studio system works yeah um you know they have helped a lot in that regard both for obviously movies and tv shows you know if if i think if there's one thing netflix has been able to has a decent to good track record on it's their shows a lot of their shows tend to be huge hits i know obviously the big one right now people are talking about is strange things because it just came out with this new season but you know, The Witcher was a huge hit for them. Obviously, Lock and Key went on for three seasons. At the very beginning of it, before the scandal happened with Kevin Spacey, their first hit with House of Cards, um, Orange is the New Black. Like they've had a string of like acclaimed TV shows, and that part can't be denied either. Well, and also, I mean, regardless of how you feel about Netflix, you've got to give them props for being the ones to pioneer this complete change in the way we view entertainment. I mean, mm-hmm. they're the ones who created the streaming service. So at the end of the day, they will always be there first. And, you know, you got to give them props for that. I mean, we wouldn't have so much if these guys hadn't taken that plunge. So I will give them their, I will give them credit for that, but yeah, there are some shit films on there. Credit where credit is due. I just wish they'd have a little bit more of a, the Hulu approach of quality over quantity. Again, Hulu's not perfect. There's plenty. I don't watch them, but, they, they've had a good year so far between like fresh i think it was like no exit was the one i'm thinking of or they go to that yeah the no exit fresh prey recently it looks like hellraiser if that could potentially be another huge hit for them now that they finally got a release date for it um so you know they're they believe probably over vacation friends was good so i just wish to do that where it's like at least then i'd be able to remember the hits more than i do the the misses that's true i'd say a good 40% of our potentials list for this show are Netflix original movies. Yes. 
But again, you know, I figured, you know, we'd rag on them a lot. That's how I had a different question in mind. I was like, well, you know what? We should on Netflix. So let me ask this. <laughs> nice. I like that question. Yeah, it's it's nice to kind of reaffirm where we stand on things like that. Yeah. Um. So with that, we will go ahead and see get more to add. Um. I'll go ahead and move on to development hell. One because uh, so this is gonna be short this week, but with that we got something real exciting. I think no development hell, um, cooked up or we feel it here in a second. Um, but let's go on and go through this real quick. So this is actually based off a 2012 web comic, um, of the same name. Um, but again, many adaptations as we've seen with MCU, definitely the DC universe. Uh, there's some differences between the two mediums. In the comics, it was known for its lack of dialogue and speech bubbles. And it had a somewhat minimalistic style and color. Basically, they used stark black, white, and orange as the three primary colors. <laughs> so, a very stylized comic, which is the movie does try to be and fails miserably. Um, dialogue and speech photos apparently would get added later on when Dark Horse picked up the webcomic to put in like actual print editions. I think they get added then, but I don't think even then it was a whole lot. Uh, in October of 2014, a live-action adaptation was announced as a joint development between Dark Horse Entertainment, the ones who picked up the comic rights, and Constantine Film. Um, they're a major, as anyone who knows that, they're a major player with a lot of indie uh, films. Uh, from there, pretty smooth ride. There was no hiccup. People got announced. Like most Netflix films, they put out a date. They cast people. They met that date. I To Netflix's credit, we didn't talk about that too much, but like, like we said, they... They are one of the best when it comes to saying, like, hey, this one's coming out, and it fucking comes out on that date. That's become so important to me lately because of, you know, a certain mega studio's constant string of fuck-ups. WB. Just saying. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, to Netflix, they're like, the state comes out. I don't know how they avoided issues, but they did. Um... With that, like most Netflix films, Netflix films though, it would get released in 2019 to pretty negative reviews and would get lost within the algorithm by the audience. Yeah. <gasps> Makes sense. I, I watched it just because, you know, I'll add shit to my to my list that just sounds interesting. And if I see an actor there I like, I'm like, oh, okay. Mads Mickelson, add. And I watched it and I'm like, I hope I never have to watch this piece of shit again. Flash forward two years. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel sometimes. Some of the movies I I make the schedule and I'm sitting there going, why don't I make myself watch this movie again? Yeah, there's it's I just you know, I just keep thinking of Knoxville in Jackass as being like, come on, it's content. It's content. That's that's how we keep moving forward on this show. It's content. Come on. Content. <laughs> Quick side note. I saw a recent clip of Van Montgomery apparently getting done a year-long stint in rehab. And uh, he did, like, I guess, Steve-O has a podcast he does. So, of course, he does. <laughs> and he was interviewing Bam. And good luck. Bam's never come back to Jackass. Like, it... It, it, I quickly noticed how he took no fucking blame for his firing whatsoever. It was all their fault, not his fault. That sucks. 
sucks that he let, you know, substance abuse get in the way of some, you know, lifelong friendships and a spot on a very successful TV and film franchise. Yes. Okay. Well, and Steve-O brought that up because he's like, apparently Steve-O almost had him convinced him to get him back into the new movie. Um, like he was rooting for him because he's like, dude, I really, you know, we want you in this movie, but you gotta prove yourself. Like, we want you. I, he apparently was like writing stuff for him, saying like, say this, say this, do this, it'll get you back in. And then apparently they were Knoxville and you know Spike Jones and Tremaine set up a meeting, like a Zoom meeting, be like, hey, you make the zooming, that will be the decision on if you want me in the movie or not. And he fucking missed it, so they went okay. And Steve told me, was like, what were they supposed to do? Like, you missed it. And then, bam, again, he's like, well, I, I didn't have a computer. I was rushing to my friend's house. And, and Steve goes, dude, you will put on Instagram the night before that you were loaded, that you were wasted. They saw that. What does that tell them? Shit. <laughs> I got to watch that podcast. Um, yeah. So, yeah. He, and this yeah, is all relevant because Knoxville's in this movie. <laughs> it is. I just had to do this quick aside because I forgot before recording. You did a fun little thing about Bam's current status for those who are wondering. Um, and then, yeah, he, he brought up, you know, you got to stop the drinking and stuff. And literally, Bam goes, I don't know why the drinking and drugs are an issue when during Jackass 2, you guys were high fiving me and like everyone's high fiving me and like we were being supplied alcohol and like it was, you know, encouraged. And, and Steve was like, dude, Jackass 2 was the height, was our heyday. Like, that was the height of it for us. And it's much different now. It's like, he's like, dude, that's not us anymore. It's like, we're not, that was 20 years ago. Like, it's a lot more serious now. We're older. We can't be doing that. He goes, eventually, it's not fun anymore. Yeah. Sounds like he's, you know, Bam didn't grow up. He still, he still thinks he's that, you know, 20 year old invincible, you know, idiot <laughs> yeah i'm like it, so yeah quick side basically bam good luck getting back because he he will not admit his fault he doesn't want to grow up he the, the ryan dunn thing permanently affected him for life as far as i'm concerned it just permanently affected him and the other guys you know to their credit they are admitting hey we're in our 50s like we're not what we used to be I love they say that, and then they, you know, Knoxville blasts himself out of a fucking cannon <laughs> with angel wings. It's like, yeah, love- we're mature now. We've grown up. <laughs> I love when, yeah, Chris Pine is, what, people are wondering what would Jackass be like more in our 50s. Well, it's definitely going to be more mature. That's what, that's for sure. I love what Steve-O was like, you know, it's okay if you get c- concussions before you're 50. Like, you can just bounce off that. And Knoxville's 49, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I uh, I always love having a, a good jackass check-in. Yes, I, I forgot to tell you that earlier, but yeah, that's the latest on that whole fucking debacle. Um, but luckily, Bam did at the end of it. He did say, like, look, I'm just not coming back. It, it's the best thing that could have happened to me. I'm like, I did, you, yeah, for the wrong reasons, but you know what, fine. At least you're fucking saying something. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't get to, you know, get horrifically terrible tattoos on his balls or get thrown off a building or get trampled almost, by bulls. I mean, poor him. I'll almost get his dick ripped off. Yeah. As 4.5. Get gallons of pig cum dr- dropped on him. Yeah. I, I can't imagine a worse hell. But he, he, get he doesn't get to do that anymore. Yeah. And get paid pretty well for it. 
Oh, there we go. Netflix. It's this tie-in. If you want to watch Shackass 4.5 for whatever weird reason, it's not on Paramount Plus. It's on Netflix. Yeah, I don't get that either. Weird. <laughs> that did segue right back wonderfully. But with that, back to Polar. Um, so that's all. That's all I got. So a, a quick week on on Polar. <laughs> Somebody needs to do like some deep dive, talk to some people in production and find out how they like production stories. I want some some juice. Did it, something happened? Like people were there, people did stuff, a movie came out of it. There has to be stories somewhere. Apparently, there's never a story for a Netflix out of, unless you like you look up a TV show, you'll have like the longest fucking production histories on their TV show, but not on their shows. So with that, since it's been a long time, since we since there's not much on this, it's been a while since we've done a list. I want to find out for a list and it has to do with comic books because this is as we saw based off a comic book essentially stretched it based off a web comic but i'll take what i can take um and that is the top our top five worst comic book adaptations so with that in the spirit of all of our times we do this i'll start with you so i Comic book adaptations, I took this a little bit differently, is not top five worst comic book movies. I went with, you know, comic book adaptations. So, like, situations where the source material was, like, ignored or just destroyed or erased or, you know, just forgotten. So, these are my top five. Number five is 2003's The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Okay. I didn't, that's not on my makes. I didn't, I've only seen the film once and I was a kid. Now, I want to preface, I actually really like this movie. I enjoy it. I liked it as a kid. I think it's a fun ride. But if you hate it, I absolutely get it. The source material was butchered for this movie. For starters, uh, the team leader, uh, I believe, in the comics is Mina Harker. And in the movie, it's Alan Quarterman, played by Sean Connery, because the production was like, a woman team leader, the hell you say? So... That didn't happen. Also, there were no Americans on the team in the comics, and the studio felt there needed to be an American on the team or American audiences wouldn't give a fuck. So they shoehorned Tom Sawyer into this team. People didn't like that. <laughs> so basically, it was just taking a beloved comic book series, you know, another Alan Moore project that the studios ripped to shreds and giving, the, you know, a movie that is just going to irritate fans and upset them and the movie, the production was so fucking insane, it convinced Sean Connery to quit acting altogether, which he held to for, you know, till the, till the day he died. All the way to his death. Yeah. So while it's a, you know, a favorite of mine, a personal favorite of mine, I, I acknowledge that it's not a good movie at all. And I no. totally understand why everyone fucking hates that movie. But, you know, I saw it when I was a kid and stuff you see when you're a kid sticks in your head and you have trouble admitting it's terrible when you're an adult. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of films like that for me. Um, one that did stand test time, I watched it recently, um, which is a personal reason I'm going to discuss on the recording right now. Um, Small Soldiers holds up. Uh, oh, Small Soldiers is a fucking masterpiece. I'll fight people who say that's not a good movie. Yeah, I watched I watched it last time. I was like, it was like my pick, essentially my pick for a film. I was like, let me pick something you can watch. And I picked that, and I was like, God, this film still holds up. It's wonderful. Um, yeah. I think it's funny that Joe, Ta- Joe Dante was able to just remake Gremlins and nobody really batted an eye. <laughs> yeah. Also, I didn't catch it, but uh, when they were sure at the beginning of the movie, when she gives them the passwords they're supposed to keep secret, and David Cross Lally yeah. goes, huh, mine's Gizmo. 
as a case, I never saw Gremlins right past my head. Now, I'm like, hey, I love that, and I love that Sarah Michelle Geller was uncredited as the the like Barbie knockoff. I thought that was. I was like, that sounds like Sarah Michelle. I was like, I know that voice. I've had a crush on that woman since I was a kid. My parents watched. Oh, my mom watched Buffy, <laughs> and the all the soldiers are like the the dirty dozen or something. Like they're all old timey like soldier actors from the sixties, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. there's a lot to love about that movie. <laughs> oh yeah, still holds up. Great film. Um, that's my shout out for that. <laughs> but uh, and actually, before I do my number five. It, for the fans that are mad about that movie adaptation that you love so much, uh, it was announced not too long ago, I think like maybe a month or two ago, that they are re-looking at the comic and doing a new adaptation that's supposed to be more true to the comic. So there is a new adaptation on the way. That was announced like two years ago. It was like a month ago. Shut up. All right. I am. Yeah, I gave up on that a long time ago. <laughs> it's on the way. Look, it's 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 like winter. It's coming. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So for mine, I didn't stretch it quite like that. I really just, just picked the five that just seethed me with rage and anger. Fair enough. <laughs> so not good movies in general. Um, so for my number five, with that said, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Mm. Um, I know what people are saying. You could have gone three. You could have gone Amazing Spider-Man 1. And you're not wrong. But like Connor said, I actually don't completely hate Spider-Man 3. Much like League. So when I was a kid, I was in love with the first two films as a kid. I don't love Spider-Man 3, but I don't hate it like everyone else does. So there's things I do like about it. Um, and I stand by that main Spider-Man 1 is at least an okay film. Two, though, butchers any type of storyline they're trying to tell from the comics by doing exactly what people did not like about Spider-Man 3. Literally... To the second film into your rebooted franchise like they did the first one and went okay we get it people don't want too much one it took one sequel for them to just go let's give it all that's what they want it worked well the first time you don't have to reboot this franchise at all <laughs> and they did it and any sort of like trying to adapt characters like Green Goblin or, or, or what the fuck they were adapting Honestly, I I am so confused. It was Green Goblin or Hobgoblin because it was like it felt like a hodgepodge of both into one. It was it was supposed to be Green Goblin, but it was it was so shoehorned in. Like there was no, you didn't buy the 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 like lifelong friendship between Peter and Harry that you know the the Raimi films actually established quite well. It yeah. was it was terrible. Like, yeah, you know, all the emotional weight got sucked out because everything was so damn rushed and forced. Yeah, they, they rushed and forced it. And the, the only thing the only thing they that paid the only thing I'll give this film credit that I thought was the only thing handled was the death of Gwen Stacy from the comics. Mm -hmm. That mostly got handled well thanks in large part recently, you know, spoilers for those who have yet to see the biggest sensation to hit theaters in recent memory. Um it gets, you know, that through line gets covered in Spider Man No Way Home and there's a good payoff to that. But yeah, I I won't, yeah, my big thing with this is that if you're talking adaptations, it doesn't feel like one because they're just taking different comics, taking what they want, and fucking just throwing it up onto the screen and hoping yeah. you enjoy it. And again, this is keep in mind the reason we got Amazing Spider Man was because people were like, there's too much going on in Spider Man 3. There's too many villains for this movie. They said, cool, copy that. They fucking kicked out Sam Raimi. They kicked out Tony McGraw. They rebooted it. 
people were like, okay, we kind of now it's a little weird, but we like, let's see how this goes with Mason Spider-Man 1. And then literally the sequel, they went Electro, which is a terrible representation in this film. Fucking um, Rhino, Green Goblin. Like they just were like, it's like Sinister Six is like, did you guys not want a fucking thing? It took one movie for you to just forget and go, let's do it again. Yeah, that was the beginning of Sony's obsession with getting a Sinister Six movie off the ground, <laughs> which they've yet to give up. They're still trying to do that. Uh, yeah, I hated how, you know, Gwen was just kind of like he mourned for like three days and he was like, all right, time to be Spider-Man again. Let's do this. Like, I didn't feel like she got a proper send off. Paul Giamatti's Rhino was embarrassing. And then Jamie to turn like Electro into like a whiner who's like, you know, nobody Spider-Man didn't come to my birthday party. So I'm going to destroy this city. Like, What the fuck happened there? And Jamie Foxx, I do not blame him at all. He killed it. But I'm glad he got to do justice to the character in No Way Home. But yeah, Amazing Spider-Man 2 is the worst Spider-Man movie. Oh, without a doubt. I will fight anyone that tries to sell me Spider-Man 3. Like, Spider-Man 3, at least to me, has some saving graces. And Sam Raimi's style still shines. Yeah. But I've gotten I've gotten over my 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 beefs with Spider-Man 3. You know, I've I've accepted it is what it is. It's got some insanely good moments. I love the you know, Harry and Peter teaming up to take on Sandman and Venom at the end. I thought that was awesome, and it felt earned. I liked that. Like, there's some great moments in, in Spider-Man 3. Well, I don't really... Hmm? Well, so that's because he felt like that was one of the storylines that he actually wanted. Yeah. Was that, you know, he didn't want Venom. He wanted Sandman. That's why, to me, like, people always bitch about Venom in that movie. Like, well, Sam Raimi didn't want Venom. Like, the yeah. studio was forcing him to put that in. You recut that movie without Venom, and I'm sure it's a like a flawless ending. <laughs> oh, I'm sure if they had let Sam Raimi do this thing, it would have been the perfect trilogy. Yeah. Damn. Well, I agree with you. Amazing Spider-Man 2. Good call. Uh, my number four is the very first movie we ever covered on this podcast. Batman and Robin. I purposely avoided that movie because I was like, it's too easy and Connor might put it on his list anyway. Yeah, it is. It's low hanging fruit, but it's got to be said. It's <laughs> it's the, the lowest we've ever seen Batman. It's like nothing's ever going to eclipse that shit show. And uh, yeah, as far as adaptations of the work go, I mean, every Batman fan in 1997 wanted to kill Joel Schumacher and George Clooney for this travesty. <laughs> and yeah, I watch it now for laughs. I think it's hilarious. Uh, but, you know, it's a terrible Batman movie and a terrible comic book adaptation and a ridiculous waste of money. So yeah, that's all I got on Batman and Robin. You want to hear my full thoughts? Check out episode one of beyond the bed. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want to go too into this. because We talked about this pretty in depth for our first episode doing this off ground, but like just the fact that this was, cause I, this was one, this is a film I own. Cause I just own all the Batman movies. Um, well, why is the Batman? I still need to pick that one up. I'm getting bad as I get older. We're getting like the newer releases because I'm like, eh, it's gonna be on the streamers anyway. I know. I gotta. I gotta check myself with that shit too. Yeah. It's yeah. Um. But, uh, you know, anyway, I have it. I own it. And so, a lot of times when we do these episodes, beyond the bad, when I own it, I I try to dig through the bonus features for a little extra stuff. And going through that, like, it was very evident in my research. I was like, this was not made to be a film. This was made to sell toys. Yeah. And it fucking shows the whole time. 
the only person I will not trash in that film is Arnold Schwarzenegger because it seems like he had a grand time <laughs> just saying puns the whole movie. He got to say dumb shit. He got to be a Batman villain. He made like $30 million. <laughs> he, he had the time of his life. It destroyed everybody else's career, but he he followed it with like what I think like jingle all the way. So he he was fine. <laughs> he was doing great. Yeah, nothing can you know. Bad movies, uh, you know, being the governor of scandal with a secret child. Nothing stops the A train. <laughs> so, yeah, I get it. He really is the Terminator of life. Nothing can stop him. Yeah. He just keeps coming. <laughs> uh, all right. But good call. If you do want to hear our four thoughts, so like you can, episode one, be on the bed for Batman and Robin. Um, so with that, my number four, a film we have not covered on this, and I tried the day I put it on this fucking thing. Um, and that is 2019's Hellboy. Ooh. I've not seen this one because I heard it was dog shit. This is a movie that I have learned through some veiled messaging from No Marshall. It's a studio fucking hack job. Um, he's he does not have a lot of good things to say about this movie, and there's a reason you've seen him doing more indie stuff, and why his recent announcement for uh his film is exciting because I don't know if you, I don't think I told you. Uh, his new film is a return to Dog Soldiers to Descent type of horror. Um, in a weird way, this had to happen because I'm getting the new monster I want back anyway, so it kind of worked out in that regard. Um, <laughs> but uh, with that, as far as the film itself, I matter is, people wanted fucking Hellboy 3. Well, a, a very large cult audience wanted Hellboy 3. I think, unfortunately, not big enough to get it made based off studio's eyes um but that's what they wanted ron Perlman was on board obviously and del toro was dying to get it made um but didn't instead we got this movie which I, you know it's fine i think it's hurt someone hurts because i was actually really on board i'm like look if i'm gonna get hellboy 3 we're getting a reboot it's gonna be rated or like cool let's do this I, i'm a stranger things fan so i'm a big fan of david harbour because of it i really like his character on there I thought, okay, he's a good, he's good on Stranger Things. He's a good actor. He might be able to crush this role. Um, went to go see it in, in an empty theater with a friend I dragged, and I feel bad I dragged him to go see it now. Because um, we both sat there just stunned silence at what was being thrown on the screen at us. It, it's like literally they took, again, it's just like House of Spider-Man 2, man. They just took all these fucking comic runs of the character and just said, let's do this as and then we're going to transition to this comic that talks about this part of the storyline. And then it's like, they just pick a comic and go with that. It was like multiple different fucking comic runs squeezed into one film. And do we hear more about how I feel about that with a certain upcoming episode that we uh, had to reschedule things to a film that's now not fucking dated? Um, fuck you, WB. <laughs> uh, but they did that, and then David Harbour, oh my god, it, it's the mo- it's one of those whiny performances where I'm like, after a while, I was like, I remember living in the theater, I wanted something to be like, shut the fuck up. 
you're just sounding like you're whining the whole movie. Oh. Like, where is fucking Hopper in this performance, man? Give me that. Like, it's like being a whiny fucking Hellboy. Holy shit. I would just like to point out real quick, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, had a budget of $85 million, grossed $168 million. To me, that is a success. That is a success worthy of a trilogy capping sequel. I'm assuming you're one of the many fans that's pissed that you never got Hellboy 3. You're goddamn right, I am. <laughs> I, I've been a Del Toro supporter my whole life. Hellboy is my favorite movie he's ever done. And I, after I saw Hellboy 2, I was like, I can't wait to see Hellboy versus the Apocalypse, which is clearly where we were going. I I prefer his I prefer Hellboy Going Army over Hellboy One. Going Army kicks ass, and Hellboy One's great. I really enjoy it, but Going Army kicks ass so much. They're both on pretty even ground for me. I I love them both. Uh, I I didn't watch this the new one partially out of a little bit you know some loyalty, but also everyone said it was shit. And then when you told me it was shit, I was like, okay, I'm never watching this. So until it shows up here, I will not be watching. Yeah. <laughs> I like how like for you it's like if I actually just straight up admit a movie is shit you're just like oh, okay well there's certain like with you and Austin I I value your guys' opinion on certain genres so like if you tell me a horror movie is shit I know it's shit <laughs> if Austin tells me <laughs> that like an Oscar nominated film is shit then I know it's shit like I trust you guys in your zones you know what I mean yeah I think the way you were that with me, though, because you know the type of horror films I do enjoy, and you're like, if you even think it's bad, I'm staying away from it's a It's a safe bet. I mean, I could be wrong every once in a while, but I think it's a safe bet to just, you know, fold that one. So, yeah. Well, you're, you won't like this. This this movie is this is pretty trash. It's bad. I had a feeling. Yeah, which is a shame because it did look exciting. <laughs> so. It did. The trailers were promising. And also, quick sign up, my favorite Del Toro film. And it's not just because I've seen it like now three goddamn times this week. Again, for reasons I won't discuss on here. <laughs> Pacific Rim. It's a fucking shame that wasn't as successful as it should have been. I always forget that that was a Del Toro movie. That, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like his it's more commercial okay. than his stuff, but it is good. Keep that in mind. Keep it just in mind. Watch it again and tell me you so don't see a bad Del Toro in it. It's you okay. act, like, keep that. Shove what you just said right up your ass. A little bit. I didn't mean it as a negative. It just personally, <laughs> it just felt less, you know, weird than a lot of his other work. Right. But I'm saying, like, it's. I get what you're saying, but I watch it again, and you can tell in the like the the cinematography and the color scheme and stuff like that. It's fucking Del Toro, one hundred percent. Especially because like all he wanted to make was a movie about robots. He's like a child. He was like, I want to see robots fight monsters, and I want this film made right now. <laughs> he made it. <laughs> I think that was some of his like post Hellboy 3 anger just be like all I want is big robots and big monsters leave me alone and give me the guy from Sons of I deserve right something now. today <laughs> yeah I bet that was a little bit of that right. so like he didn't want for the cast he's like I want Idris Elba and the guy from Sons of Anarchy okay if you give me that I'll be fucking satisfied how's that sound and Ron Foreman can't be Hellboy <laughs> call Ron we got a job <laughs> I'll start really like it's always sunny. So if we can get Charlie Day on here, we'll tat him up. 
Uh, yeah, it's been a minute since I watched Pacific Rim. I I like it. It's been a while though. I've I've seen it very quite a bit this week, and uh, I will say it does hold up. It's still a lot of fun. Nice. Uh, <laughs> my number three is a superhero movie that completely derailed a promising career because he refused to take responsibility for anything, and the studio threw his ass under the bus. 2015's Fantastic Four. I have more to say. You sleep piece. I got so much more to say. You saw my rant review. One, my number one and two pissed me off to a level I didn't know was possible. I knew this movie was going to suck, so I, I I wasn't as burned as I was with the first two, with my number one and two. Uh, but yeah, Josh Trank is no more <laughs> because he made this, and he blamed the studio, probably pretty rightfully, for fucking up his movie, but you don't do that because that means, to quote, you know, Hollywood parodies, you'll never work in this town again. Uh, but this movie's absolute bag of shit. It's barely a Fantastic Four movie. All the whimsy is drained out of it. They fucked up Doctor Doom for the third goddamn time. <laughs> and it's it's an embarrassment. I, I, I don't even really remember what it was about. I everyone is miscast. I I don't know who this was for. I don't know why anybody like involved didn't have a moment of like, oh my god, why did I, why am I here? Uh, it's probably the worst comic book movie of all time. I think at this point, like at least Batman and Robin has like its joke followers. No one's watching Fantastic Four 2015 for any reason. Yeah, it. I'm not going to detail, but yes, because it's it's on. I, we have overlap, but mine is later on this movie. Okay, I had a feeling. It was like one of the first ones I thought of immediately. So with that, I was going to my number three. Don't know, don't know. There's a good chance these top three could be overlap films because I know we kind of hate. We have a shared hatred on some of these comic book movies. Uh, for me, my number three is the first attempt at the Suicide Squad. Nearly made my list, but didn't didn't quite get there. Didn't quite get there. Okay, cool. So we can have a good discussion on this one right now in this moment. Um, this movie looked pretty damn promising when they first advertised it. I remember thinking like, okay, cool. And I was not really on board with Batman v Superman. I wasn't really fucking into the movie. Man, still, I stand by it. You take away that tone. Could have been a really good fucking movie. Um... Well, I remember seeing this going, okay, this could work. Like, as soon as I scored, you can get away with it being dark. There's a really good cast here. I'm down. Then there's the trouble starting. There's rumors of them, CEO stepping in, WB, famous WB, infamous WB now, stepping in because Guardians of the Galaxy had come out and they wanted a Guardians of the Galaxy. So then we got this recut trailer that promised a completely different fucking movie. And I was like, okay, what's going on here? Um, I dumbly, due to my love for the movie Barkroom for a Dream, supported the fact that they cast Jared Leto. I was like, dude, if anyone's going to fucking ace this Joker, it's him. I don't know who to blame in this finished product, but he is awful as the fucking Joker. Um, I don't know if it's the writing, the direction, the studio hack job, cutting out a ton of his scenes, or his performance. I would like to think that now between this and Morbius, it's 100% his fucking performance. 
The guy needs to just stay away from comic book movies, and I don't know why I had to hear that he's in the haunted fucking mansion that's coming out. I guess you know that one. Um, but yeah, this the end product movie. <laughs> Holy god, um, worst iteration or worst live action recreation of the Suicide Squad I have witnessed in my life. Um, the most bland protagonist and enchantress not really doing anything and having all these weird minions that don't make a lot of sense. Half half of the squad is fucking forgettable besides a couple of characters. Killer Croc looks horrendous. That is some of the worst makeup effects I've seen in my life. He looks like shit. King Shark looks better than him in the the better movie. Um, the good one. Um, some positives I will say this might be controversial to say now because of a recent thing this year, but Will Smith as Deadshot, I did like him as Deadshot. I liked Margot Robbie. I'm glad she had a very successful career or tenure with Holly Quinn because I know it's kind of up in there if she'll be back or as a character or not. Um, oh, that's not up in the air anymore. That's done. Like she's oh, being replaced by Lady Gaga and she's not happy about that. No offense, Lee Gaga, great actress. I won't take that from her, but Margot Robbie was crushing Holly Quinn, in my opinion. It was really just shitty of them to do that, do her dirty yeah. like that. Yeah, because I would argue that all of the things she did with that character after this, way better than Suicide Squad. Um, but she was really good, even if you, if it's, even though it's kind of obvious, a dude that wants to bone Margot Robbie directed this film. Because we get that gratuitous shot of her putting on everyone just staring. It's like, oh, okay. Um, very obviously, it was female forward and, you know, future iterations of the character. Um, but yeah, it's just like in the plot, it's so goddamn boring in this movie. Like, I, I did not care. Um, yeah, this, this was terrible. Like, this was a bad take for our first time seeing the suicide, like the DC, one DC's most well known properties suicide squad like everyone wants a suicide squad movie and they butchered this shit out of it for their first girl on luckily we had a great second film thanks to james gunn and dc's backing the fuck up and saying do your thing because we had a great second film and a great spin-off series in peacemaker so thank god but this first film oh my god yeah this was a a bummer because uh you know at that point Batman v Superman had already come out and that was the big one of that year. And we were already like, God damn it. <laughs> and now suicide squad was supposed to be like, you know, well, at least this is going to be cool. We got this to look forward to. And I remember I quit draft house like a week early. So I wouldn't have to watch, have to work suicide squad. So I could just go, go watch it. And uh, what a fucking disappointment. I mean, this movie wanted to be Guardians of the Galaxy so bad. So bad. But it didn't have the camaraderie, didn't have the writing, didn't have the direction, and didn't have the cast. I it just I didn't like that they had this whole like all of a sudden we're family now thing that just came out of nowhere towards the end of the movie. It's like when did this when did this happen? You did you, you guys have hated each other the whole movie. All of a sudden now you're family? God damn it. So yeah. It's just, you know, it's a rushed movie with a terrible villain 
and yeah, Joker gets sidelined, but I'm kind of thankful for that now because Jared Leto was so goddamn miscast. Yeah, it's just a weird performance. And then you get someone like David Ayer who doesn't have a bad track record. Like I remember when they ca- added him as director, I'm like, he could pull this off. He's done ensemble films that are really good before. Like he can pull this off, and especially what they are going with, this is his style of film. Yeah. But then you had the again all the production issues that kind of were happening. The fact that I'll never get the whole like getting on station. The first thing you say is "fuck Marvel." I'm like, well, calm down. They're more successful than you, there, bud. Like none of your films crack the top ten highest grossing films of all time. A, a good chunk of theirs do. Um. <laughs> Well, and also, you know, most of them are good. That's a big one. Yeah. So I'm like, don't let's calm your bridge. So I was trying to start something that was unnecessary because Marvel was winning already. Um, so was. Um, so it was like a weird release, like lead up to release. And yeah, then we got what we got. And I was like, oh, okay, this is pretty trash. So for me, like, you know, the olive in the shit sandwich was that that year at the Oscars, Suicide Squad took home best makeup. Like, did you people even watch the fucking movie? Like you pointed out, the makeup is horrendous. Like, how did that happen? Did they see Killer Croc the same way I did? Because he looked fucking terrible. I, I don't know. It beat Star Trek Beyond, which had what like I figured that was the one to beat, you know, well done on the makeup there. And I don't remember the other film because I was so fucking flabbergasted that Suicide Squad took that award. Yeah. So yeah, hell? DC beat the MCU at the Oscars. I'll never forgive Suicide Squad for that. That is oh my God. Yeah. To me. It felt a bit like they were kind of I, I put it in a racism with Killer Croc because I was like, did we have to make him shout how is it ghetto? Like, was that I was like, I've never read the character as that in the comics, and I felt like you guys purposely just had to do that. Well, the character is a crocodile man. So no, they didn't. <laughs> I was like, I'm watching, I'm like, is it me or did they just are they trying to be racist as much as they can be in this fucking film right now? Harley Quinn got sexualized. Killer Croc was a racist character. Joker was a pimp. Need I go on? <laughs> I'm about having fun and playing with these characters. You know, obviously we, we've had that happen and it works, but this this did not work. Birds of Prey and The Suicide Squad were both great. So it is possible. Just... Not this time. Yeah, so. we get like a super flamboyant, potentially possibly gay black mask in Ewan McGregor, and that movie made it work in Birds of Prey, where I was like completely on board, like, yep, this is my black mask. They were supposed to be gay, but then again, that movie came out in China, so they're not supposed to be gay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, that's a case where, like, you completely obviously changed a character very much quite a bit. You still kept him intact. Like, he did have his scenes where you're like, oh, shit, that is the black mask, I know. Um, oh, I had very few problems with Birds of Prey. I really liked that movie. Uh, no, that's what I'm saying. Like in that case, yeah, you, what we're talking about with changing the character and playing with it a bit more. Mm-hmm. They did it with him and that, but it works because that movie one, that movie was good. I liked it quite a bit, and they knew how to actually make it work in that movie. Well, yeah, Black Mask. It really depends on who's writing him. Sometimes he's you know dark and dismal. Sometimes he's flamboyant and over the top. It really depends on who's writing the comic. But I thought you know Ewan McGregor pulled it off great. Uh, I barely remember Suicide Squad because it was it didn't take it's so 
gloomy and pointless. It's it was such a weird direction to take that movie. I yeah. Yeah. Oh god. Yep, that's my number three. Fucking suicide squad. My number two is a movie that I don't think anybody has talked about in 17 years because it was so horrible. Everyone immediately said, we're going to forget this happened. Don't you ever bring it up again. And if you do, you will be shot and buried in the same grave. And that is 2005's Son of the Mask. God damn you. Yep. See what I mean? Just the mention of this movie upsets people. If you're like The Mask, 1994, Jim Carrey, absolute classic. If you like that movie, you probably really, really wanted a sequel. And when you finally got it with Jamie fucking Kennedy, you were like, why did you do this to me? Why, what did why, I why do? Am I, why am I getting Malibu's Most Wanted? <laughs> that movie is a disgrace to the source material, to Jim Carrey's movie, to the audience. To Alan Cumming having to be there. It's such a stupid, terrible movie. And I saw... Hmm? The movie hurts. It does. It, it's a painful film. And it has, you know, fuck all to do with the, with the first movie. Thankfully, I think that was the end of um, America's Affair with Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> like, after that, every, like nobody, nobody wanted him around anymore. So, there's that. But, uh... One day we're I'm assuming we're gonna tackle this movie on Beyond the Bad and it's gonna hurt, but it's gonna be worth it oh. to finally get all this pain out. I wanna have like a headache while I watch it. Cause I remember being a kid and not liking it because it's just like I remember being a kid going, Why is it so loud and obnoxious? I remember that was like my thought, like this is loud and obnoxious, not funny. It is it's somebody trying to be Jim Carrey, not realizing that nobody but Jim Carrey can be Jim Carrey. Yeah, there's a nuance to his physical comedy that only he can pull off. Yeah, he's obnoxious, but it's hilarious. Jamie Kennedy skips that part and just remains obnoxious, which is not what people want ever. So, yeah, Son of the Mask. Absolutely dog shit movie, but there's one movie I hate even more than that. So we'll get to that. Ooh, I stand by that. The fact that the only time I've liked Jamie Kennedy was in the first two screen movies. Yep, exactly. Uh, It. That's the only film that somehow Wes Craven is the only director that made that dude likable and funny. And (laughs) it was only in that series. Yep, you're not wrong. (laughs) God, I... My whole mind just got derailed the moment you said Son of the Mask. Mm -hmm. I would love to see an adaptation of the source material, like, because, you know, the Dark Horse Mask comic is dark as fuck. It's not a comedy. It's like a it's basically a, you know... I was about to say, the first film is actually not... T- technically not a fucking good adaptation. It's just ended up oh. being a really good movie. Exactly. It's a terrible adaptation of the source material, but it's funny as shit because Jim Carrey really makes it his own. But I would love, like, a super ultra-violent adaptation of the source material and really make, like, The Mask a vicious, oh, aggressive comic book movie. But I feel like it's been so, you know, comedicized at this point that it wouldn't work. People would be like, that's not The Mask. Yeah, that's how I feel about um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm a massive, you know, man, I'm a massive Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan. And the comics are actually super fucking dark and, like, gritty and, like, go for it. As we know, other than the first 90s film that did try to be dark and gritty and people were like, we didn't like that. And then the sequel went in a more family-friendly, like, adventure route. And that's what the series has been since. This has been its the success it's had. 
Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm I'm a fan, but I would I know it's impossible now because of how it's been branded as a family type of property. I I would still die to see like them do like let's do it like the comics. Let's be dark. Let's be gritty. Let's make these guys fucking terrifying. Yeah, it's a shame that you know the superhero movie has kind of you know become synonymized uh, synonymous with uh, family film because you know you really got to fight to get shit like Deadpool and the Punisher, you know, Logan. proper. Logan. Logan, yeah, like I'm hoping you know with those success of those movies minus the Punisher, and you know the boys, like I want I want some some dark shit. Let's get some dark shit back up in here. You know, not every movie has to sell toys. I think we're kind of seeing a, a a turn to that. I mean, like I said, the boys. I, obviously, the boys on my mind thanks to the fact that we are getting Jeffrey Dean Morgan in season four now. Woo. Um. You know, the boys, obviously, the fact that Marvel did say, I think, like a year or two ago, they're like Deadpool 3. It might be MCU now, but it's going to be rated R. So they're not afraid to do something rated R. They're not Marvel Zombies is going to be TVMA. So, like, we're kind of seeing them embrace, like, hey, let's do this. Let's change it up a bit. We're seeing them say that. I hope I want them to hold the. I'm holding them to that. Like, until we actually see, you know, a red band trailer doesn't exist. I absolutely 100% believe that Deadpool 3 would be right at R because Brian Reynolds has proven what his love for that character. He's willing to walk away from a fucking huge paycheck if he doesn't get what he wants. All right. I'll, I'll, I'm hoping. I'm just I'm worried that at the last second, the house of mouse is going to step in and being like, we can't do it. We can't do it. I hope. But I mean, like I said, you, you've heard, you know, you know, the production on the first movie and how much he was like willing to sacrifice just to get the film he wanted made with two fucks yeah. given to what the studio wanted. Yeah, that's right. Well, we'll see. But yeah, uh, Son of the Mask sucks. Yes, Son of the Mask is terrible. Oh, God. Okay, my number two. I'm, I gotta get off that one. Uh, is I had to put this one because it's a very famous comic storyline that fans have been dying to see adapted properly. This was the second attempt in this franchise before they got bought by a bigger entity to try to do it again by a longtime producer who was with that series since the first fucking movie, and they still fucked it up. The Dark Phoenix. <laughs> There's quite a bit of X-Men films I could have picked. Again, this is like Spider-Man. I was really kind of, you know, obviously I know for a lot of people there's X-Men The Last Stand, which again, kind of like Spider-Man 3, I don't despise it. I don't like it a whole lot. It's definitely, if you talk original trilogy, obviously the least effective one like the first two blow it out of the water but there's still some stuff i enjoy in it quite a bit um origin wolverine was it was it was the fucking runner-up for dark phoenix it's pretty bad there's like no saving grace to that um so i know that's obviously no one apocalypse is also in there for me that i could have picked so i just again another trilogy was the fucking last one they dropped the goddamn ball um you know, obviously, for a lot of people, the New Mutants, um, even though I actually really don't think it was as bad as people made it out to be. I don't think it was great. It just wasn't as bad as people made it out to be. Um, so within that, I was like, okay, which one do I want to pick? And I was like, Dark Phoenix. Because again, and it's a simple fact, like I said, this was the second attempt at doing this storyline. You had Simon Kinberg, who has been on this board with this franchise since X-Men back in 2000. This time writing and directing in charge, taking over, saying and promising in so many interviews that, hey, we're doing it right this time. We got this. And they still, still 
found a way to completely fuck it all up. Yeah, you're 100% right. My number one is Dark Phoenix. <laughs> I had a feeling. I had a feeling. For every reason you just laid out. First off, I don't know why the hell they thought this movie is so powerful, so amazing. Everyone's going to know exactly what it is. So let's just drop X-Men from the title and just call it Dark Phoenix. Like, that worked out great. Um, After they did that with the New Mutants, and that didn't pay, pay off for them, other than the fact that it had a wonky release. But, you know, I'm sure that didn't help. This is personally Simon Kinberg's second time fucking up the Dark Phoenix saga. Because he wrote Last Stand. That was his that was his fuck up. I forgot he wrote it. Yeah. Yep. And then he directed Dark Phoenix. This guy should no longer be allowed to touch comic book movies. He clearly doesn't know what he's doing. Well, I mean, he's not touching X-Men anymore. Marvel has it. I think anything. Anything that comes out of a comic book, keep him, you know, 500 yards away. But this movie caps off the first class quadrilogy so horrendously. First off, I don't know why every film had to jump forward 10 years, but not age anybody. Like, yeah, it was like it was like they did that weird thing where like, well, we did first class in the in the 60s and then days of future passion in the 70s, so we should just keep doing it. I was like, you don't have to. Yeah, like because like, after like the after like first class and Days of Future Past, there's like real no like those two films at least utilize the fact that yes, it's in the sixties. This was in the seventies. Like they utilize the decade they're in. Yeah, Apocalypse barely utilizes the eighties. Other than saying like, hey, yeah, we're in the eighties now. And it's like, okay, why? <laughs> yeah, it, it brought nothing to the table. I personally didn't really have any problem with Apocalypse. I enjoyed Apocalypse, uh, but Dark Phoenix, man, I. Just watching this really good story get ripped to shreds again by the same asshole. <laughs> like, how many times is this guy going to be allowed to butcher this? And, yeah, I just I thought Sophie Turner was painfully miscast as Jean Grey. We had just met her in the previous movie. There was no emotional connection to this character whatsoever. Like, it just, you know, Jennifer Lawrence was so bored. Fastbenders, like Magneto, didn't even need to fucking be there. He had no relevance to the story. It's the whole Jessica Chastain alien thing made no fucking sense. It was it was horrible. It was horrible. The worst movie I've ever seen at the theaters by far. I saw it by myself because no one would go with me because everybody knew. But I was like, I've seen every X Men movie in the theaters. I got to see this last one. I got to do this. I regretted my decision within ten minutes. And I walked away incredibly upset and disappointed. And then I think the next week I saw the Child's Play remake. So it was not a good month. (laughs) I remember those two happened pretty close to each other. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, I I watched this uh, on a a whim. because It didn't look interesting to me. I didn't bother watching the theater. I finally watched the movie since one day. And, you know, it was shortly after they got bought by disney and i was like okay well you know disney's made it very clear they're doing x-men at some point in the franchise obviously you need any more doubts to get you know tampered on that watch miss marvel where they dropped the mutation fucking bombshell so it's coming it's like winter it's it's coming hopefully we get some more news at d23 who knows um but so i was like let me just watch this and finish my fox 
Right. Like you, like, hey, I've seen all the Fox Runner films. Let me watch this last one, cap it off. Yeah. And much like you, I started it. And I think I'd actually, within like maybe five minutes, I went, oh my God, this was a bad idea. <laughs> I was like, God, I'd finish it because I fucking watched all the other ones. My my favorite little detail was that James McAvoy had just finished uh, filming Glass. So he was still insanely ripped. <laughs> so Professor X is like incredibly cut for no reason that it never comes up in the movie. But they like layered him in sweaters to try to hide it, and they fucking don't. <laughs> I love when films do that, like how we talked about in Lawless with Tom Hardy, where they're like, "Shit, you got really big for Bane. We don't need you this big for the movie." So they're just like, "Let's put a lot of sweaters on him. Just make him look tired." It never works. It just makes them look bigger. That's that's, yeah. all, that's all a sweater it does. Make you look bigger. Makes them look, look bigger, and in both cases, do the men not ever just look tired? Like they're just like. They don't want to do this. They're just like, I just really need to work off this weight first, please. Dude, everybody in Dark Phoenix looks like they don't care. They don't want to be there. It's all a contractual obligation that they don't want to deal with financially. So they're just like, fuck it. I'll do the movie. I'll sleepwalk through this and then I'll be done. And yeah, everyone has that. You don't feel a single emotional moment in this movie. Not even when Mystique dies. Where you're supposed to feel, oh. you've, met this, you've been with this character the whole time. You're supposed to feel something. I didn't feel shit. Well, it's because, like, Jennifer Lawrence was so adamant about not wanting to do these, like, shortly after Days of Future Past. She may have known. She's like, I don't want to keep doing this. I really hate this. And I'm like, maybe calm down on your fucking... I know she's, like, known to be very, like, blunt in her interviews. Yeah. I'm like, maybe shut the fuck up. Because I-, I need to believe your performance. Well, also, I don't feel bad for anybody who has to undergo, like, blue makeup for, like, $8 million. So, you know, either, you know argue your way out of it or just be mystique <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. rebecca remained it for three films and seemed fine yeah and she started to create pretty strong career she's on the new star trek the, the um, strange new Worlds. Oh, yeah she's one of the main characters so she her career's still going strong i'll never really understand why the you know the the prequel reboot trilogy whatever you want to call it the the mcavoy fastbender movies why they went so big on mystique like I'll never understand why that why she became such a big character in that section of the series. If, honestly, if you watch that and then try watching like the original trilogy, the continuity does not match up on the little details at all. No do, do Xavier and Mystique have any interaction whatsoever in the original trilogy? I don't think they do. No, and yet in this prequel, it's supposed to be their like lifelong friends. I'm like, you can what? They're basically siblings. They grew up together, but that never comes up. The continuity is so incredibly fucked with the X Men franchise. Honestly, it's been it's been like that since beginning. Like you watch X Men Origins Wolverine, and apparently Sabretooth and you know Wolverine were brothers that have a rivalry, which is much more in line with the comics. But then if you watch the original trilogy, he has no fucking idea who uh, Wolverine is. You know what I mean? They don't know Sabretooth and Wolverine do not know each other like that. You're just like, nope. There's that weird bit in X-Men 3 where, you know, a walking Xavier and a friendly Magneto are going to get Jean Grey in the 80s. It's like, well, that wouldn't make sense. It's Yeah, it's it's a mess. And you can't explain all of it away with time travel. Some of it's just, you know, nobody cared. <laughs> yeah, they were just trying to get this franchise going. I still love most of them. There's, you know, I, I saw X-Men when I was five. Like, that was the movie that started my love affair with Marvel films. With comic book films, really. 
So I owe X-Men a lot. The first two are two of my favorite movies of all time. First Class and Days of Future Past are masterpieces. Logan is great. The rest of them aren't great. (laughs) No, yeah, I still like a good chunk of the series. Like, if I'm being honest, you know, the first two X-Men movies, uh, The Wolverine, Logan, both Deadpool films, um, first, you know, Days of Future Past, First Class. So a large majority, I enjoy. There's also quite a bit in this franchise. So I'm like, not your best effort. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oy. Well, there's my five. I think I know what your number one is. My number one, as I alluded to earlier, is the train wreck that made me go on a whole rant and hate my life. 2015's Fantastic Four. Wow. I I saw no day I wrote this review, and I think you like looked at it and texted me and was like, Well, you really ranted there, buddy. Like you got a text from you immediately. Well, I don't get you know when you when you did reviews, I did I did not get a lot of, you know, twos. So that was, you know, a, a, a red light went up and I'm like, oh, I should I should ask him what's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Straight uh, up, fuck this movie, man. That, that's a rating. It's this one. Um, Yeah, it killed Josh Trank's career, which was very promising when he got this because it was a, a he did Chronicle. There we go, which was a a huge hit so you were like "Ooh, okay guy on the rise here i think at one point he was attached to the third jurassic board film and then not attached he was he was a a promising up-and-comer like you know fantastic four was supposed to be his you know his way in but no (laughs) well well it's it's like you said the film tanks and he while he's probably right clearly doesn't know how to you don't do that because of how studios are Felt the need to go on the defensive in a lot of interviews and be like, well, it's not even my... And before the filming came out, actually, he was like that. I remember a lot of interviews before he was like that, where he's like, it's not my original vision, and blah, blah, blah. And then the studio fought back, we're like, well, this is what was being reported when you were directing about you not being interested by your directing and all that. became just a he should, see should thing, but at the end of the day, you're a first-time director. You got handed this big franchise. They were a major fucking studio. <laughs> He did they something else after that. Fantastic Four that like tanked really hard. I think, what was it? It was a uh, oh yeah, Capone. <laughs> oh yeah, he yeah, he's done. It's over. <laughs> but uh, God, dude, this it is. I've never seen a film that does such a terrible job of hiding its reshoots the way this one does. Uh, Kate, uh, Kate Mora, yeah. The one that didn't snooze her way through Nightmare on Elm Street 2010. Um, at one point, it's so fucking obvious she is running away because her blonde hair does not match in some scenes. It is astonishing that they were like, yep, that's okay. I'm amazed they even came back for reshoots. I would have been like, fuck off. Yeah. I'm Reshoot like, my ass. How about that? Oh, no, at no point. And by the way, like, for those of you who are wondering, Fantastic Four, other than the fact that it is actually Marvel's first fucking comic that they ever did, um, one of the key things to the Fantastic Four is that they feel like a family and of, of when it comes to crime fire. They never felt like that in this movie. At any po- point did they feel like a fucking family. Um, everyone, like you said, round my miscast to hell. Um, thank God Marvel saw something in Michael B. Jordan because we got he got redeemed with fucking Killmonger and Black Panther. Um, crushed it, and I'm actually still kind of mad at Marvel for killing his ass off in the first film because I want more Killmonger. 
Marvel um, has, you know, maintained the tradition of giving the Human Torch another chance. <laughs> thank God. Um, but yeah, everyone's miscast. It it takes on such a fucking somber tone. I'm like, this is Fantastic Four. I am to anyone who hasn't known yet. Why I allude to the Man of Silver earlier. I'm all about like make your comic book bait as far as the tone's concerned. Unless you can prove that playing with it is the right thing to do, just stick to what the comic tone is. So in this case, Fantastic Four has always been upbeat. It's always been happy. It's been what people won't shut up bitching about with all the MCU films, which is they're quippy and bad. Like, if you're still complaining about that, stop watching the 30th MCU film. Like, Jesus Christ, people, shut the fuck up. Um, that's Fantastic Four. Like, they're supposed to be that, and this film goes, nope. They're going to be moody and dour and sad for like an almost two hour runtime like you said dr doom marvel has their work cut out for them thanks to fox um and getting us an actual good dr doom i'm sure i'm have no doubt they'll pull it off i'm not saying they won't i'm saying they got fox left them in such a terrible hole in that regard with their fucking take on dr doom twice (laughs) i honestly didn't think they could fuck it up worse than Julian McMahon's doom from the, the 05 and 07 movies. But Toby Kebbell as this, you know, one dimensional, I think he was like a hacker or some shit. And the mask, like they didn't even bother animating the mouth. They just made him like a, like they glued some kind of like space helmet to his face. And they said that he's doomed now. And like, no, I mean, if you count the Corman movie from the 90s, they have fucked up Fantastic Four four times. We Four strikes. I Honestly, like, Marvel's take on this has to be just, like, a C-, and it'll be the best one. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be amazing. It just has to be watchable. <laughs> hey, look, I, look I said, like I said, I am sure... If anyone's going to get it right, it will be Marvel. They have yet to really, like, even though I complain about how they kill off a lot of their films and it pisses me off, they usually do a good job of getting actors, the right actors for these roles. Um, so I have no doubt. I'm just saying, like, like you, like we were talking about, like, it's the work is, in this case, the work's absolutely cut out for them. With the with Fantastic Four, in general, if we're being honest, like, because of the, all these other adaptations, like, they really got to prove themselves. I know some people are already worried because they had, like, you know, John Watts step down because he's understandably kind of tired from doing three fucking Spider-Man films. Um, but I'm not. Marvel hasn't moved the release date for the film at all, which tells me that they just went with that and went, hey, okay, cool, let's put it down for this date. We'll get a director, move forward, no problem. And John Watts wasn't like, you know, I'm never working for Marvel again. And Feige wasn't like, you know, don't let the door hit your ass on the way out. Feige was like, you know, he did great work for us and we look forward to, you know, his career in the future. Good luck, John. Like, yeah, it was amicable. <laughs> yeah, it was literally him going like, hey, man, I've done like three Spider-Man films and obviously the success with No Way Home. He's like, okay, hey, like, I need a break. I need something that's not as, like, intensive as this. And Feige just went, hey, we totally get it. Door's always open for if you want to come back. Yeah. But, hey, good luck out there. Wish you he the made, luck, man. He made Marvel Studios, like, $4 billion with those three movies. Like, he's got... That that door is revolving, so he he can come back anytime he wants. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not I'm like I said Marvel will probably I absolutely have all the faith in Marvel getting this right. Um, 
this this time around us finally getting a fucking fantastic four film that is worthy of our time and money um i love that this, i love that like i don't even have to have high expectations i could just i'll just be like you know this could be the marvel's worst movie and it'll still be the best fantastic four movie Look, as long as it's not a fucking snooze fest like Eternals, I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're going to, I think, you know, considering, you know, Kang is their next big bad, they got a lot invested in the Fantastic Four because, you know, Kang is Reed Richards' like future, you know, ancestor. So that's, that's going to be important. <laughs> yeah. Well, that and the fact that they're doing secret wars. And I think if I, if I remember correctly, Doom's pretty involved in that. Yeah, he's basically the main villain of the Secret Wars story. He he wants the Beyonders' power, and yeah. uh, doesn't so, go the way he thinks it's going to go. I love that story. I can't wait. Oh yeah, so uh, <laughs> that's what I say. Like, I have no doubt in my mind. There, I want to make sure that this film is done right. So, and as I don't know if anyone knows, there's a lot of rumors around that they do already have a new director in place for the film that we might be finding out in D twenty three. We don't know yet. We'll find out. Yeah. Um, Everything's gonna be fine, and honestly, you know, knock on wood, but it's not like it could get any worse. If they go lower than this, I don't. I'm going to kill myself. There, there's no possible way. <laughs> I mean, it would have to be like just completely off base. The tone is, you know, all over the map. They get like Zack Snyder to direct it, and like Doctor Doom is played by like Rob Schneider. <laughs> like, there's. That's the way they'd have to fuck this up for it to be worse. <laughs> so I don't think they're going to do that. <laughs> okay. True. Yeah, because this, this movie is the pinnacle of just, to me, this is the pinnacle of bad comic adaptations. Like, and you take away all the actual movie stuff, this was the third fucking attempt from Fox. First one's so bad it's never been officially released. Oh, yeah, it uh, like how do you as a company not only screw up a storyline for your X-Men franchise twice and then you turn around the other one that you own the one you're clearly giving less effort put into um you fuck it up three times in a row you're like she can't get this one right 2015's Fantastic 4 is the Hellraiser revelations of comic book movies because it was only made to retain the rights and no one put any real effort into it <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, that, was, that was fun. That was fun. Go ahead and just recap. What were your uh, top? Your five? Uh, number five, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Number four, Batman and Robin. Number three, Fantastic Four, 2015. Number two, Son of the Mask. Number one, Dark Phoenix. Okay. My uh, my five or number five that makes Spider Man two. Four, 2019's Hellboy. Three, Suicide Squad, the first one. Uh, two, the dark, uh, the Dark Phoenix, and one, Fantastic Four, 2015. Nice. So we had two overlap. Yeah, I was actually kind of impressed. I thought for sure there might be a good amount of overlap on this one. I was anticipating it. Well, I personally have not seen Elektra or Jonah Hex, but I have a feeling they would be there. I remember I watched Electro once as a cake, so I thought Jennifer Garner was hot. I remember not liking it. I remember I thought I was like, this movie sucks, but she's hot, and then I never watched it again. 
Oh, you know, a lot of these movies, I don't, I don't seek out shit movies in my spare time. I do it now because of this show, but outside the show, I try not to watch movies that are known to be terrible. So I haven't seen a good chunk of these. A lot of these were just, you know, my expectations were too high. <laughs> it's quite a bit of a, at least like when I was a kid going through like puberty, like any other, you know, boy growing up. Definitely terrible films I watched because I thought the accident was hot and it was on TV one day and I watched it and then got confirmed it was terrible and never watched it again. Thankfully for me, most of the movies I watched to see a hot actress actually were ended up being pretty good. <laughs> or just watch porn. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Um, what do you think I'm talking about? <laughs> uh, we have fun. Ooh, all right. If there's nothing to add to that, I'd say let's Bring it back to Polar and get into our awards. I know we just had that fun. But let's take it back to this train wreck of a film and get into our awards. Uh, first up, Zack Snyder, who um, I found out he apparently Netflix is going all in and get, get, doing a Rebel Moon Part 2. So two more hours to slow-mo. Um, the worst scene, what do you got? Well, first off, I'd just like to say I'm increasingly happy that I drove a stake through the heart of the sneak preview so I don't have to bother with Zack Snyder's new space movie. Um, this is going all in on already. Of course they are. Uh, my worst scene uh, encompasses really the ending of the movie, the final twist, where you find out that Duncan killed Vanessa Hudgens' family. Like, did we need this? after everything else that we got, all these subplots that are just like put onto this thing, like a fucking Lego house. Do we need this last little bit? Does it do anything for the story? No, it doesn't. It's completely unnecessary. It's horribly acted and ultimately fruitless. Like we could have cut 20, 30 minutes off this movie. If we just didn't do this. Yeah. The whole, like the whole storyline's weird. And like the whole relationship's honestly weird. Like it's the strangest it's like is she trying to get with them like she's trying to be friends with them like what is she doing and then it's like abandoned because she gets taken for like a large chunk of the movie and then magically brought back up at the end and even then i'm sitting going well that's i'm not really that surprised because we keep going back to this scene and she runs like okay i could have told you this was going to happen at some point well i apparently i forgot like it's so pointless that like when i watched it for the second time here I had completely forgotten about that. I, re- I read my review. It's, I mentioned something about a final twist and I had a moment of like, what twist? Like I, I didn't, it had completely left my mind. So clearly it's, it has no ramifications on the movie as a whole and it's not memorable. So like why devote so much of the movie to it? Because movie can't just not do a fuck a fucking subplot. It feels like that. It feels like every idea they had, they're like, oh, I saw this in a movie once. Let's shove that in here. It's a turducken of a movie. It's crazy. It just doesn't stop. Um, <laughs> I'll get more into that later, though. Uh, good one, though. That's a good scene. I definitely had some less wearing down, wearing down because I was just like, God, this film is just not a good scene. Followed after not a good scene. Um, for me, it's just because it's so fucking weird and out of place. And I don't know why the hell it's put into the movie. Um, it's when uh, Matt Mickelson's character, Vizsla, is doing the strangest presentation for like a classroom of children. Yeah. First off, how does she get this whole thing fucking hooked up for him? Second off, why? 
third off, why is no one fucking stopping him from talking about deadly fucking weapons and firing kids? At one point, demonstrating on a kid, obviously, without the intent to kill him, but still, like, it's a fucking weapon. I'd be slicing that kid's overalls off. <laughs> still, it's, I would be like, whoa, 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 let's not put the knife near the fucking child, dude. It was weird that teacher in the back's just, like, grimacing, but not making any effort to stop this like about to traumatize some children event and it is out of place doesn't ever come up again it's weird because this movie's not a comedy so like why are there random comedic moments spliced into this yeah it never, it never works either and then like we get the moment where like the kids are asking him stuff and he's having like flashbacks to his hits that he pulled off and like him saying something I'm like this whole thing is just the weirdest fucking person and then she's just he walks out how'd he go it, I think it went pretty well and I'm like we're we gonna touch on this later like is this like his goal in life is to retire and teach kids how to murder I don't know what anybody wants in this movie it's all so vague and constantly flip-flopping nobody's motivation makes a, a lick of sense in this movie no oh, but yeah that was that was my scene <laughs> Next up, the Ed Wood worst line. What, what what do you got for this one? This was tough. Uh, I have two. Uh, my first one's pretty basic. Uh, it's one. It's a a character's catchphrase that we hear a couple times. Um, it's blow time. I didn't think we'd have overlap because I definitely wrote that down. <laughs> that was so stupid, and just her her whole character is just there to be hot. It's it's weird, and she's objectified beyond belief. And her whole thing is like, you know, the guy's distracted while she's blowing him, so they don't see the bullet from behind coming. Like, what? What's the point? Yeah, it's like he can't see you when you shoot because you're a sniper from thousands of yards away. They can't already. They don't see. So Aurora was pointless. First, yeah, Aurora first was pointless. So you know, if any woman. In just any sexual scenario, or dude, it's 2020, like any sexual partner you have, okay, let's just blanket say any sexual partner you have. For the weird reason, Phil's need that before they blow you, it goes, it's blow time, mister. Put your pants back on and walk away. Like that is a strange thing to say. And I'm, I'm, I will personally be done. I'm like, you know what? Nope, I'll finish this off myself. I'll take care of things in private. And on the safety side, there's a good to fair chance you're about to get shot in the back. <laughs> yeah, and really, if you're about to get blown, do it in a place with at least four walls and a roof. Maybe, shut, a... maybe shut the windows. Yeah, don't do it near a window. <laughs> Why would I? And, but man, in movies like they do sex in like the most open places, where I'm like, just close the fucking window. <laughs> it's exhibition over comfort for some reason. Um, and my other line just didn't make any fucking sense I, I kept thinking about this and i'm trying to find i'm still trying to figure out what the hell vivian meant by this and it's uh towards the end where duncan uses the laser the laser gloves to take out all these soldiers i still don't know what that was all about but um vivian's trying to convince him to stop and she says the road that you've chosen doesn't have a rainbow like what <laughs> what does that mean what rainbow? Is this a saying I just don't know? 
the the rainbow of retirement <laughs> i don't know i guess does she play a lot of mario kart like what the fuck is she talking about <laughs> she only plays rainbow road in mario kart that is it no that's what i person. that's what i was thinking of but like I, I was like she can't mean that that can't be what she's talking about is this some like viking reference is this the bifrost like where what does she mean <laughs> so yeah it bothered me because it made no sense but she clearly said it with conviction Oh yeah, she did. That's this actress tried really hard for a lot of her lines. Um, yeah, I I only had the one the explosive time mister because it's at first the first time I let it go, I was like, well, whatever. Trying Knoxville's in this scene anyway, so why the fuck do I even care? <laughs> Your standards drop when Knoxville's involved. Yeah, I say as someone who really loves Jackass, I think Knoxville's a generally probably good dude, but yeah, it's just I get it. <laughs> Yeah, but just in a movie that's supposed to be like this action movie, the moment I see, and it's not like it's not like like Walking Tall or something like that, where you know, okay, there's a bit of comedy already sprinkled into it, so you know his point of the, his purpose. In this case, it's meant to be just straight up action, and the first thing I see is Knoxville. I'm like, okay, well, she's of course she's gonna say it's blow time. It's just probably something he would joke about on a fucking jackass <laughs> movie for Christ's sakes. But then she said it again, and I went. No, this is her catchphrase, and this is this is a bad catchphrase. <laughs> yeah, she's in a bad place in life. If this is what she's doing, is blowing targets so the rest of her team can finish the job. Yeah, and also just you don't need to announce when you're about to blow someone. Just fucking put your mouth on it. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> you don't need to announce it like it's a fucking sideshow. Jesus. Just picturing her like with an alarm on like an Apple Watch and it goes off. She's like, oh, it's blow time. <laughs> I feel the sucky suck. Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. Ooh. An unnecessary layer of sleaze in this weird, hard to pin down movie. Especially the second time she says it is when you get the, the one of the most gratuitous sex scenes I've witnessed in all of fucking film. Where they don't, they don't even cut away for like the the changing of positions. They make you watch them change positions, and I'm like, okay. If Mads wasn't happily married, I'd be like, he was in her. <laughs> like this, this happened. He just insists. He's like, all right, so there's a sex scene coming up. Um, I insist. I have to actually penetrate her. I must be inside. Jesus. And I must, I must finish. God. Oh my god. It just it didn't it, it was so much. It was so much. A lot. You see you see you see a whole lot of Mickelson. Yeah. I mean, just like the her tits up against the glass. I'm like, what who directed this thing? Like, did like a porno got, guy step in and be like, I got this. I got yeah, this. I don't think you got a porno director. I was like, because I'm like, okay, again, we're doing things that I would never. If it's that cold outside, you do not want your tits as great as they are. Don't, she had nice ones. Don't get me wrong. You don't want them up against glass. It's snowing outside. That glass is probably freezing fucking cold. Was this entirely just to get him in front, like to get him in his bedroom window? Like, was that the whole point of that? Was just so yeah, like, he what, would end up over there? Yeah, what would have happened if he didn't? Like, he's a you know, let's say he's a dominant guy and like he doesn't. What if he just, you know, prefers to fuck on the couch? Like, mission abort? Like, what? 
<laughs> yeah, Does she have to come back would... later? <laughs> Start having like a casual thing with them in the hopes that one day they'll be near the window. <laughs> they 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 date for like six years. They have two kids. <laughs> he finally walks in front of the windows. We got him. <laughs> I like at least with Knoxville, like she was outside, so it's like okay, you can do this like wherever he's outside. Okay, cool. But with him, I'm like, you have to get him in front of that window, like that specific window, because any other window is a wash. I do love that Duncan is not like you know he, he's privy to what's going on. He figured out like oh she's probably here to kill me, but she's also super fucking hot, so I might as well. <laughs> like that that was his thought process. Like he knew why she was there. But also, he was like, I'm, you know, I'm retired, not dead. <laughs> I am going to fuck this. Whereas <laughs> Knoxville, they were like, yep, that feels like his character would be. Just, I love retirement. Some random ladies blowing me. Yep. Knoxville would die with a heart on. I just, I feel like that's implied. <laughs> it's in his contract for some weird reason. I feel like when he really does die... He's going to die hard. <laughs> and we're all going to be just like saluting him. <laughs> Dunn's going to give him a big old high five in the next lap. They're just going to add his funeral pool, a last like grand prank just for Knoxville and be like, this is what he would have wanted. He just launched the corpse into a river, into a lake. <laughs> That's his send off. All seriousness, all joking aside, I will be sad the day I have to read that on a fucking headline. I do feel like all the shit he's been through, like he's he's either ex, you know exceeded his nine lives or he can't die. <laughs> he's gonna be the last man on earth. <laughs> oh, get on Knoxville. <laughs> Oh, all right. I still need information. Quick side. I I still wonder. I'm still wondering. Are they going to be part of that new Jackass show that's coming out or not? I'm sure they'll. I don't think they're going to do like a lot of stunts, but I'm sure they'll be there to like you know help with production and get fucked with on the side, and uh, you know come up with ideas for crazy shit. Yeah. God, I can't wait for that new show. <laughs> it's like I got my movie. I was very happy, and then they're like, "Hey, we're doing a new show." And I was like, "Oh my god, yes, more Jackass." <laughs> Yeah, I'll be watching that too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so with that, let's move on. If we keep talking about Knoxville here, um, the Steven Seagal first performance too. It was not Knoxville for me. <laughs> so the performances in this movie aren't exactly Oscar winning. Uh, quite a lot to pick from here. I do think Mads is doing his his best to keep this thing together. Uh, but to me, this went to Matt Lucas. As our bad guy, Blut or Blut, whatever the hell it was. Oh, uh, well, we have overlap against. I've heard him now, too. Really? He was just the last guy I would be afraid to go up, go up against. He was not intimidating in the slightest. He was irritating. He was annoying. He was gross. Just Dude, I, anybody would have been better. I, at first, I was debating him and some other people I'd run down. Um, but then what solidified it for me was when we have him cut to him doing the fucking sword shit at the meeting. 
And then saying that, I went, oh yeah, he's getting it. He is the worst fucking thing in this film. <laughs> well, the way he's just like so smarmy and like he's like a Bond villain. He's like, you know, yeah. He says cliched shit. You know, it's it's crazy. It's it's so over the top, but also so like under utilized. I don't understand what the point was with this character. To me, he is miscast as fuck. Like this is a terrible performance. You put a guy like just off the top of my head, like Vincent D'Onofrio, you got a crazy intimidating bad guy here. But yes. he was he was a joke. Yeah, I was not intimidated by and I mean his fucking death proves it. You know what I mean? Like he just the guy walks up to him and cuts cuts his head off. There's no epic fight scene. It's not like in John Wick, right? With um the guy, you know, the 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 Russian mob boss, like he's intimidating. You get the feeling like this guy fucks people up, and then yeah. you do get an actual fight between him and Wick at the end of the film. You got such a great sense of a decades long history between those two characters in John Wick. Like it felt earned. It felt like you know, personal, and they wanted that so bad in Polar, but they couldn't get it. It's this movie wants to be John Wick so bad. So so bad because even then, Matt Duncan at no point these two ever interact until towards the end of the film. <laughs> it's all his people that are doing the fucking talking and stuff like that um, throughout the movie for them, and it's like, oh my god, it's yeah, Matt Lucas is so. I did have uh, the chick that played Cindy, the one that just blows people. Um, I had her down because I thought she was fucking awful outside of her sex scenes. Um, to listen to like when she has the weird whining moment in that one trailer, and they kill the guy, and she starts like randomly just whining. I'm like, I'm just sitting there going, "Shut up, stop! You're a grown fucking woman." What was with the parade of freaks in the middle of this movie? Like, just you know, giant, fat, weird people, and like sexual sadists, and like this movie just trying to be as gross as possible. I think so. It was just left field. Like, yeah, yeah. And that was a weird scene. Just out of nowhere, the dude's just like hitting her and being like, we do things this way. And I'm like, the fuck is going on? What the hell? Yeah. I, nothing in this movie makes sense. They, There's so many different ideas happening all at once. Yeah. And uh, yeah. But with that, like, actually, I'm like, yeah, I picked Matt Lucas. It's just what a terrible fucking, I'm not intimidated at all by this guy. And then, like, it's this whole plan. I'm killing them so I can get their pension. I'm like, why? You're already a successful, like, boss of this organization. Like, you're going to need Hitman constantly. Yeah. Besides, he's the one making these contracts. Just don't include in there that the whole pension thing. Like, just get rid of that. Like, yeah, I was like, you literally just changed the contract. Also, what matter? Who cares if you give them a fucking pension? You're clearly making money for years giving your retired hitman pensions like i don't understand yeah and he said like they if they die with no next of kin then the company gets the gets the check like they get the money he has no next of kin like that never comes up yeah and also he makes a comment that goes most people in this business don't have next of kin so usually they get the money so what was the fucking point of any of this it's yeah it's a pointless thing it's like you don't need to do any of this it's you're you're an idiot this is why you always write a second draft 
<laughs> then you can realize maybe some things don't hold up. Yeah. And if you third, fourth, fifth, keep writing until somebody tells you this isn't terrible. And if you get nothing but great feedback, you are surrounded by ass kissers. So Netflix. Um <laughs> with that on that note, the Michael Bay. <laughs> The worst filmmaking decision. Yeah, I brought this up already. To me, it's there's a serious lack of focus in this movie. It's telling too many stories. None of them really match up. You don't really feel any stakes in this. And that's it, really. Like, there's no point to anything. Like, half, you know, I kept finding myself thinking, like, why am I here? Like, beyond watching it for the show, like, what is the point? What am I getting out of this? And I wasn't getting anything the whole fucking time. Yeah, um, it's funny because we're pretty much just hitting the same notes here. Because <laughs> I, I pretty much put up saying it's like the film can't decide on like a tone or storyline tackle. Um, yeah, the whole time she's sitting there going, "What story are you guys trying to tell? Like, what are you trying to tell?" Because I can't fucking figure it out. <laughs> And then what tone are you going for? One minute you're deathly serious, and then the next you're cracking jokes and trying to be stylized and over the top and stuff like that. And none of it's fucking trailing to the point where like it was a painful almost two hours. It just felt like it kept going. So I was just like, oh my god, just end the goddamn movie. I can't take this anymore. Yep. Exact same thoughts. This is thankfully the last time I ever have to watch this piece of shit. This is the first and only time I've ever had to watch this. And obviously wasn't su- su- successful enough to warrant Netflix, you know, doing a sequel. So, thank God. Yeah, you really got to hunt this down if you want to watch it. Just yeah, type EOL in Netflix, and it'll be there. Yep, it's lost in the algorithm now. <laughs> um, with that, I know we're just kind of shitting on a lot, but let's see if we can find a, a silver lining positive thing so was there anything positive you took from this movie it was nearly that hyper aggressive sex scene because i was just like this is hot but (laughs) ultimately the scene where duncan uses that to take down you know the so-called a team that was a pretty badass scene i'm gonna give it that like when duncan naked takes all these fuckers out but he just shows up above the sniper somehow naked shoots him in the head all that is pretty sweet yeah, I it's actually fine. I had I can I have roughly the same thing. So I put the action sequences or the few that we get are actually pretty fucking good. Um, the new yeah the nude fight scene with Mads Mikkelsen and him getting on like the sniper I mean like don't be afraid, just breathe. So that one chick and like finding ways to draw her out so you can shoot her. Um, yeah, he you know being on top of the dude and then just fucking killing him and the whole while he's fucking butt naked. Kills Cindy so she can stop giving away his position. Um, yeah, with a fucking like hatchet to the face. Yeah, it's that was fucking epic. Um, and then obviously the other scene I speak, the other action scene I speak of with them is the hallway fight sequence when he is like the fucking Terminator, just shooting dudes down, fucking using the others as far as he's actually getting shot and to their credit you know i know people complain about because in john wick he always wears you know he gets shot a lot but they explain it right by him having the suits with like they're essentially body armor and this one he doesn't have that so you're seeing him get shot and get back the fuck up and keep going and not stopping till every person is dead in that hallway yeah that was pretty cool 
I liked that. Um, the initial attack on the the Mexican guy that he thinks is, you know, killing all the agents and all that. The guy he fucking <laughs> nails to the wall. <laughs> that was insane. Just like you know, one in one in each wrist, two in the ball bag, like, and then starts drilling into his fucking head to get him to see if he's lying. Like that was horrifying. <laughs> Yeah, you definitely feel where this guy was a, uh, you know, considered one of the best. Why he got his nickname, you know what I mean? They lead to their credit. It again is sometimes be John Wick, right? And I will always praise the the lead up to the character of John Wick in the first film, and like you know the fear they instill in you in you the audience member to his character, and like dude, who is this guy? When everyone's like, you know, you get those random scenes like. Oh, whose car is that? <laughs> oh, we sold off this one dude. Oh, he stole it. I mean, he punches him. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't give a shit. Why when I tell your dad who you stole this car from? <laughs> that because John Wick is not just a great action movie, it's just a great movie. It's a brilliant script. It's tight, it's precise, it's perfection. This just takes, you know, the greatest hits of John Wick and tries to, you know, mold them into a new format, but it just doesn't take. No, and you know, they do that. They're literally like, Oh, you don't want to mess with the Black Kaiser, he's one of the best. And she even warns him, was like, You need to leave this one alone. Like, this guy's gonna fuck us up. And to their credit, when they do show the like the two fucking action scenes we get, you're like, Okay, I see why she was wanting him. This guy is like serious, like one of their best. Clearly, you don't want to fuck with them because he is fucking them up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. I mean, I think, do you, do you think that in the proper hands, like, this could have been something? Do you think that there was any chance here of this being a substantial, memorable action movie? Or do you think they were doomed from the beginning because they were just trying to be a clone? I think, I think if they had stopped trying to be a clone and tried to be an actual adaptation of the webcomic, I think we had something. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we'll never know. Yeah, we'll never know because... Like I said, in the webcomic, it's clear that, you know, like I said, it's known for its like a speech, uh, like, like a dialogue, speech bubbles, very stylized concepts. So it was something that was there in the comic that they just did not want to pursue for the, the movie. Oh, well. But yeah, well, with that, that's all yeah for server lining. For the rewards, so unless you got anything else to add, we are ready to move on to what's in the box. What's in the fucking box? This was interesting. Uh, this is sporting a 2.5 out of 5 on Letterbox, so not our worst, but you know, nothing's I, I doubt anything's gonna beat that 3.0 that Showgirls had. I'll never understand that. <laughs> yeah, I don't get that one. But uh, most of these reviews were like, this movie sucked, but Mickelson was hot. <laughs> like, that was pretty much every review was like, I hated this movie, but goddamn, he was hot. Spider was uh, a fixing. All the women we got were like, dear God, the man can fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, there were a lot of, uh, well, <laughs> a few that were like, you know, plenty of TNA, but no cock and balls. What's up with that? Yes, <laughs> like, okay. some ass, like, full display. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if I ever wanted to know what Lashif's taint looks like, this is the movie. <laughs> That's why Dumbledore likes him so much. 
Oh, God. <laughs> well, here are five reviews on Letterboxd of Polar that I hope can make you laugh. Number one, this is from Minty. Make better movies or I'm going to have to learn how to read a book. One star. <laughs> learn how to read a book. I like reading. Fuck you, but I, I get it. <laughs> this next one is from Miller underscore SM. Mads Mikkelsen plays a retiring baby boomer-esque John Wick character who has to fight against the most annoying Gen Z Suicide Squad ripoff in the world. The humor is Freddy got fingered level or worse. I did like the scene where he shot his dog. Half a star. (laughs) Jesus. I love that, like, the whole thing about John Wick that was unique at the time was, like, they killed his dog, so he hunts him down. So with this guy, they're like, well, why don't we just have... I cut out the middleman and just have him kill the dog. Like they completely missed the fucking point. (laughs) Yeah. Also, it means we get deprived of a fucking chair confessional scene. Like we got John Wick. Yeah. It's asking if I'm back. I haven't known how to answer, but now I'm thinking, yeah, I'm back. I'm honestly surprised we didn't have that moment in this because it felt like, you know, they were, you know, cheapening all of john wick's other big moments right. so why not I, we've talked about john wick so much like i look forward to the day because i know we're kind of saving it because of the the fourth one but i'm so looking forward to talking about that oh yeah. I, god do i adore john wick so much yeah it's one of our favorites and we are for sure saving that for john wick four um uh, this next one is from dylan you son of a bitch uh I added that part. (laughs) Imagine if someone watched John Wick and desperately wanted to make money off making another John Wick, but didn't understand what actually made the choreography and action scenes of John Wick good. So they just make fight scenes with more cuts in a paper factory and it sucks. But Mads Mikkelsen is hot and hangs dong in this movie. So two stars. I love people who have their priorities in check. I love it. <laughs> I respect it. I feel like I'm, I'm one of those people. I'm like, I hate this but so-and-so's hot. So. Mads hangs dong. Good for him. I love it. Mads hangs dong. Like the constant John Wick come up. I keep coming like. Yeah, we're not alone in that. Everyone no. is very aware of what this movie is. Yes. Also, I want to point out, uh, as far as the boomer comment, does he know how old Keanu Reeves was when the first John Wick came out? Keanu is the he's that age, but he's not in, in spirit, he's he's still like 18. He's still Ted. <laughs> so I don't think he counts. You know what? I've seen Mill and Ted 3. Yeah, he is. <laughs> uh number four. <laughs> this is from Neon Kyle. Mads Mikkelsen being in this fucking awful movie is like if Gordon Ramsay decided to work at Burger King as a fry cook. One star. <laughs> a great a great talent slumming in, in the Bush Leagues. I get it. I love I, I really enjoy the love that Matt Mickelson has gotten across the board, though. I love that everyone else is like, yes, and is like, this guy's awesome. You love him. There was not a single bad thing said about him in the letterbox reviews for this movie. <laughs> 
everything was like this movie sucks but he was pretty good like it, it always there's always a little bit of positive feedback for him i just i just love the the, the large love that this this guy has like to the point that he could say what he said about uh method acting we went yeah you're right man you're absolutely right <laughs> We love him. And this last one is a bit of a joke for you history buffs out there that I thought was really funny. This is from Anthony. It's movies like this that make me want to go back in time and kill the Lumiere brothers. Half a star. And for those of you who don't know, the Lumiere brothers are the guys who invented movies. So Jesus. go back in time and kill them so we don't have to deal with this. <laughs> Let's calm down. Jesus. <laughs> So that's what's in the box. A lot of hatred for Polar, but a lot of love for Mads Mikkelsen. A lot of love for him because he's awesome, but also understandably because he does he does fuck in this movie. Yep, he hangs on. Uh, he hangs on a lot of love in that regard. You know what? Respect, because that is love at a man in his like fifties now. And oh yeah, yep. And he was he was going at it like a champ. I'm, you know, Close. my praise. <laughs> Man can fuck apparently. Apparently, his wife, his, wife, his wife is probably a very happy woman. Ah, <laughs> oh, boy, polar. What a what a guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's close the book on polar. <laughs> be done with this, and hopefully, never be done with Matt Milkson. We'll just actually talk about good movies he's in next time. That would be um, nice. But before I reveal what's going on next week and get that ready, all the fun social media stuff. So uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Filmgasm Productions. If you want to share us a recommendation, ideally, if you have anything you want us to talk about next year, the schedule is so wide open for those 12 months. So feel free to email us at filmgasm at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate and support us in that way, you can find us on Anchor. And then finally, feel free to get on our site, filmgasm.com, for reviews, trailers, articles, and all of our episodes. Next week, we will be talking about the 1976 version of one of the all-time American classic films, King Kong. Ah, it's super fitting that I announced this today because we finally got confirmation that Kong, uh, Kong versus Godzilla, or Godzilla versus Kong Two is a go is happening. Adam Ringgarn directing it, working title. So fitting that I get to announce this as we record this on the same day that that got announced. So hell. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. This is uh this is the King Kong that my my parents grew up with. And they've always told me that it's, you know, a fun movie, but I'm like, no, it, it probably was when you were a kid, but not anymore. So this is a the most critically reviled version of King Kong made yet. So I know yeah, I know it has a pretty good cast, like Jessica Lang, like a young Jessica Lang in the movie. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, watch her fucking perform ass around everyone else in uh, the American Horror Story series. The main one, not Horror Stories, the spinoff, but American Horror Story. And uh, playing our Adrian Brody is Jeff Bridges. So, pretty cool. Yeah. So, hell of a cast uh, for its time. So, I'm definitely curious. It's been one I've been wanting to watch. Actually, I played it. I was like, yeah, I've been wanting to watch this anyway. So, I'm actually kind of excited for this one. I'm like, I just sat through a polar, hopefully. Uh, on Filmgasm, uh, I have to say that they'll, not me, <laughs> be looking. That's right. Pressure's on, uh, Colton. 
Uh, they'll be looking at the Shutter exclusive from earlier in this year uh, for the sake of Vicious. Um, a movie that I remember thinking, eh, it's decent. Has its moments, but has reasons that has things I'm not going to talk about now that kind of hold it back for me. And a good movie. Well, I'll try. Yeah. <laughs> and then on Oscar Sunday, um, I actually finally looked up the film on Wikipedia so I could say a little bit more than I usually do. <laughs> on Oscar Sunday, <laughs> they'll, they'll be looking at 1949 film noir, The Third Man. <laughs> I remember the Wikipedia this time, so I don't sound like a complete jackass. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the effort. Thank you. But yeah, The Third Man, classic film noir, Orson Welles, uh, directed by Carol Reed, I believe. Uh, we're very excited to watch this one. Always nice to tackle film noir. It's a genre that has kind of just died, and I never understand why. It's such a great it's, genre. It's died, but we've, we've been seeing it kind of find ways into newer films. Like Obviously, The Batman was very influenced by film noir. True. Big time. So... You know, yeah, the genre itself has definitely died, but you're still seeing it pop up in various ways, luckily. I'd love a resurgence, you know, like a modern black and white Sam Spade movie with like, you know, like John Hamm as like a Humphrey Bogart type character. That would be cool. Uh, get someone like, you know, Robert Eggers on it or something. Yeah, that'd be fun. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, I was getting tired of like not knowing what the fuck movie I'm talking about when I got to you guys' show. So I was like... We actually sound like I took like the five minutes it takes to just Wikipedia or IMDb. <laughs> and that's I, what I did. <laughs> not gonna lie, I could I could tell. Some weeks I was like, he doesn't know what the fuck this is. No, there's so many weeks. No, sorry, Austin. There's so many weeks I'm just like, I don't know what <laughs> as you know, that's that show has a very niche crowd. We get it, we know what we're doing, is what yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah. And I figured it would look better because I know to Austin's credit, he is always soon to be, he's very supportive of my my picks. When I listen to the Oscar Sundays on a film I've seen, um, he's always very like supportive and seemingly very impressed with my um, schedule for this show. So Yeah, he thinks me... it's amazing that you can watch these horrible movies and have the energy to talk about them at length. <laughs> I've learned it's an art in and of itself. <laughs> You're not wrong. So I figured I could show a little respect and actually just look up the fucking genre of film you guys are talking about. <laughs> so there you go. Film Noir, 1949, Third Man, Oscar Sunday. What's that? Until then, be careful when you decide to retire from the life of being a hitman and make sure the company you work for isn't wanting your pension. See you next week on Beyond the Bed. Always read the fine print, amigo. Thank <laughs> you.